0: Hello and welcome to the African Tech Roundup Episode 58 for the week ending Monday, May 23rd, 2016. This is where we round up the week's most important tech, digital and innovation news from across the African continent. My name is Andy de Demasugu. My regular co-host, Defo Mohapi, is away again this week and I'm rolling solo. Nevertheless, a great show awaits, so thanks for listening in. In place of our discussion segment this week, I'll be sharing part of an interesting chat I recently had with Brian Anderson, who is the Head of Sales and Business Development for Africa at the New York Stock Exchange-listed banking and payments technology firm, Fidelity National Information Services, FIS. Among many other things, we spoke about an interesting platform FIS has recently launched to help promote financial inclusion on the continent. That's all coming up later, so do stick around for it. In the meantime, if you're a first-time listener... An extra special welcome to you. I do recommend that you catch up on all our past episodes by heading to africantechroundup.com. You can also get in touch with us on social via Twitter and Instagram at African Roundup is the handle. And you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash African Tech Roundup. But before we go any further, this episode of the African Tech Roundup is brought to you by FreshBooks. FreshBooks is offering listeners of the African Tech Roundup a 30-day free trial to put their service to the test. FreshBooks is the easy-to-use invoicing software designed to help freelancers and small business owners get organized, save time invoicing, and get paid faster. To find out what all the fuss is about, try it out for free at gofreshbooks.com forward slash African Tech. With all that said, it's straight into this week's news headlines. We start with a quick follow-up on the cash shortage in Zimbabwe and uh, the government's resolve to try and prevent the uncontrolled flow of U.S. dollars leaving the country. You've probably heard by now that the Zimbabwean government plans to introduce foreign-backed bond notes for internal circulation, which will be one-to-one to to the U.S. dollar in terms of value. Interestingly, Zimbabwe's unprecedented currency situation is turning into what some believe to be the world's best use case for Bitcoin. Now, one of those people is Zimbabwean fintech startup founder, self-confessed Bitcoin evangelist, and very good friend of the show, Tawanda Kembo who, when he last featured on the show some months back, declared then that Zimbabwe's multi-currency dispensation could very well be the perfect setting to harness the untapped potential of cryptocurrency. Now, in a rather insightful article he posted on Quora this past week entitled, Are the Bond Nodes Being Introduced in Zimbabwe Going to Work?, Tawanda has described in some detail the potential benefits and pitfalls of the new currency. Now, we got him on the line to shed some light on the situation on the ground in Zimbabwe and to chat us through some of the views he put in his article. Take a listen.
1: Are the bonds not going to work? Yes, I think they are. I think they are going to work because they are going to be valuable. So what makes money valuable, uh, what makes it acceptable, is the idea that there's someone willing to accept it as payment for goods or services. The best analogy I can give is I would like you to imagine two kids five years old and then you let them play in a playground and you take away all the money they have you give one of the kids sweets you give the other kids lollipops uh, and then you let them play what you're going to observe after some time is that the kid with lollipops is going to exchange those lollipops for sweets with the kid who's holding sweets and in that instant in that moment uh, th- those lollipops are money. They are a currency. And this kid is using lollipops to buy sweets. And this this currency is only valuable because the kid who's holding sweets is willing to accept it uh, and to give those sweets for, uh, in exchange for this money, those lollipops. And at the end of the day, that's what money is. That's how money gets its value. M- money doesn't... Uh, it's not valuable because it's baked by gold. And and one common myth is that uh, the the currencies we use, the U.S. dollar and the RAND, people people still think in this day and age that those currencies are baked by gold. Well, they are not, and the idea that money is baked by gold is is now kind of outdated. And, And so I can think of a number of merchants who would have a lot of incentive to accept bond notes be it a, s- a supermarket owner who knows that uh, they can accept bond notes during the day and at the end of the day they can put these in a bank and they'll get the U.S. equivalent. Or the taxman who accepts it uh, as a form of payment for goods. Or uh, a school who accepts uh, these bond notes as school fees. And so a number of merchants are going to accept them because it's going to be easy to... Uh, convert them to U.S. dollars. And for that reason, I believe bond notes are going to be valuable and they are going to work. But the real question is, are the bond notes going to be just as valuable as the U.S. dollar? And unless it's going to be easy to convert them to U.S. dollars, unless it's going to be easy for people to work in a bank with bond notes and work out with U.S. dollars, they are probably not going to be as uh, uh, as valuable as the U.S. dollar. And we're likely going to see people willing to pay a premium to get access to these U.S. dollars. And uh, these people are are mostly going to be cross-border business people. There's a huge chance that when the bond notes eventually come, people are going to be selling U.S. dollars on the black market for a premium uh, and accepting bond notes as uh, as payment for for these U.S. dollars. And one way we can avoid that, and and I'm going to sound like a Bitcoin evangelist now, but... But I mean, really think about it. One way we can avoid uh, people selling U.S. dollars per premium on the black market is to find a way to make it easy for cross-border business people to use technologies like Bitcoin to make payments outside Zimbabwe when they want to import stuff or when they want to carry money outside Zimbabwe. So that way, there's not that much pressure for the U.S. dollar because there's an alternative which people can use. Although bond notes are a good idea, they don't solve all the problems we have. One problem they solve is that there's not enough cash circulating. There's not enough cash going on around inside the country. So not enough cash to use to make payments locally or uh, to send money locally. The problem they don't solve is we also don't have enough uh, money to allow people to move value outside the country. So cross-border business people don't also have access to cash or, uh, or money that allows them to use value outside the country. And, uh, and I think that's where uh, Bitcoin really shines when, when someone wants to move value uh, across the border.
0: A big thank you to you, Tawanda Kembo, for sharing your views with us on the show. Now, remember that you, too, can send us your audio comments on any of the news items we cover, as well as the topics we discuss. Just email hello at africantechroundup.com, and we'll make sure that your voice gets heard by Africa and, indeed, the rest of the world. Right. To South Africa next, we're startup poster child microjobbing service money for jam um, aka M4Jam. Uh, which, of course, announced it was shutting down operations in March this year because it couldn't turn a profit. Well, that company is now set to be resurrected thanks to new ownership. M4Jam CEO Andre Hugo has confirmed that the startup has successfully been acquired by an unnamed party and that this development marks he and his co-founders' exit from the firm. Now, the company's new owners are expected to keep trying to grow the startup, but that's as much as we know for the moment. Could the new owner be Nasper's owned WeChat, which, of course, previously invested in the company? Who knows? It'll be interesting to find out. also be interesting to see how the assets of the company will be used going forward by its new owners. We'll be keeping an eye on that for you. To so Nigeria now where Abuja is set to get a brand new tech hub called Ventures Platform, uh, which is backed by Kola Aina. The structure is being built out of recycled shipping containers. A very earth-friendly trend at the moment uh, here on the continent. And so far, the pictures uh, I've seen of the construction uh, look pretty rad. Um, great artwork, uh, you know, being painted on the outside, looks pretty cool. Uh, what isn't clear, though, is whether or not this is going to be just yet another glorified co-working space or perhaps a a serious incubator slash accelerator with proper financial and expert startup support which is what we hope Um, now according to the ventures platform website the hub will open on june the 3rd this year and we rely on you nigeria to keep us in the loop via twitter at african roundup uh to you know keep us in the know about what's going on as soon as it opens and uh, what your thoughts are and um what good it's doing do let us know Our next story involves mobile manufacturer Nokia. Yeah, remember them? Yeah, well, Microsoft has announced that it's flogging its feature phone business for $350 million back to Nokia, which has in turn said uh, that it'll be returning to the mobile phone and tablet market under a new brand called HMD. Now, while Nokia has experienced a rough time of late, similar to BlackBerry, much of the success it enjoyed in its heyday was no small thanks to its traction in developing markets. Also, they've no doubt noticed that while smartphones continue to displace feature phones around the world as the most popular mobile device, feature phones are still very popular in sub-Saharan Africa. And, of course, data and smartphone device costs haven't come down nearly fast enough to render feature phones obsolete in the short term. So, some analysts reckon that the feature phone unit never sat comfortably within the Microsoft ecosystem, the Microsoft organization And that Microsoft is pretty much relieved to be rid of it. And other people also feel that this deal offers Nokia the opportunity to generate ongoing revenue from mobile devices without having to become involved in the manufacturing and distribution of the hardware. An area of weakness that many believe led um, to firms like Apple and Samsung and HTC stealing much of their lunch over the, the last decade or so. So it remains to be seen whether this new brand, HMD, will cut through all the noise that currently exists in this market here on the continent. But good luck to them. Um, they still hold a special place in my heart, do not care, because a thirty three ten was the very first <laughs> mobile phone or a cell phone it was called then I ever had. And yeah, it'd be nice to see them make a comeback, a successful one at that. So we'll definitely be watching to see if that happens. Our last three stories come out of South Africa. Now, firstly, congratulations to the winner of the city of Johannesburg's Hack Josie competition. A startup called Technovera, founded by a certain Neo Hutiri, which allows people with chronic conditions to collect their repeat medication in just a few minutes as opposed to waiting several hours in long queues, um, has won the competition along with the uh, prize money. Uh, happily, this this initiative, Hack Josie, uh, you know, by the city of Joburg and the Joburg Center for Software Engineering at Fitz University, is proving to be more than just another one of those hackers' boot camps. It really is attracting some genuinely innovative ideas with real-world potential, which we love to see. Now, Tech Navarra walks away with uh, 1 million rand, or just under 64,000 US dollars uh, in prize money. More power to them, congratulations, and well done on uh, well done to the city of Joburg and, of course, with its university for executing what, what we consider, relative to many of the other things out there, a relatively successful innovation competition. Then, this past Friday, on the day that Uber announced it would soon start accepting cash for trips in South Africa, and on a day that my wife, who rarely ever uses Uber, was in fact using the service in the Santon area. Two vehicles belonging to Uber partner drivers were damaged in an attack in the Santon Central Business District, along with two police vehicles that were driven to the scene to calm things down. Now, the attack is said to have been made by meter taxi drivers who are, of course, unhappy with Uber, and uh, one of whom has been arrested. Three police officers are said to have been injured. Uh, There's also an unverified claim that a gun went off, uh, Uber suspended its services in Santin for a while uh, that Friday afternoon, uh, but has since restored operations, definitely worrying uh, Uber partner drivers and Uber users alike. Uh, meanwhile, though, the Gauteng Department of Roads and Transport, Gauteng being, of course, the largest uh, province in South Africa, Uh, in terms of uh, economic activity, uh, they've started uh, the, the process of issuing operating licenses to Uber driver partners, which will allow them to operate in the same way meter taxi drivers currently do. A move that's been welcomed by some in the taxi industry, but it's also been dismissed by others who would like to see Uber banished completely in order to protect incumbents within that sector. We'll definitely be keeping an eye on developments as far as Uber is concerned. Now, finally, this past week, Rundi's mobile money service, MobiCash, that's MobiCash with a C, and not to be confused with Kenya's MobiCash with a K. Now, the Rundi's MobiCash and its technical partner, Bolero, have taken to standing firmly on top of Impesa, South Africa's very fresh grave <laughs> to launch into South Africa. Now, if you missed last week's episode featuring Rand Merchant Insurance Holdings' uh, Dominique Collett discussing Vodacom's failure to roll out Impesa in South Africa... Uh, as well as talking to us about the rise of fintech on the continent in general. Do yourself a favor and go check it out, because she put Vodacom's failure to make a success of M-Pesa in South Africa uh, down to, uh, among other things, poor execution and poor market fit. Now, MobiCash and Bolero clearly think they might have these issues on lock and are already working with uh, a South African retail chain called Big Save, which plans to roll out uh, a mobile payment system to service its thousands of informal resellers, which are called in South Africa spaza shop owners or community members. They're poised to do big things as far as they're concerned and um, make goods in an area that perhaps Vodacom had failed to do uh, with m So we'll be watching that, interesting development within mobile money. Uh, and now in place of this week's discussion, we'll stick to the FinTech theme we started on last week and play out with a conversation I had with Brian Anderson of Fidelity National Information Services, FIS for short. And um, he, he speaks to me about introducing what he believes to be a timely and relevant FinTech solution for Africa, uh, a, a solution which he believes promotes financial inclusion on the continent. Take a listen. FIS, uh, which stands for Fidelity National Information Services, is a behemoth. It's listed on the New York Stock Exchange, a global leader in banking and payments technology, as well as consulting and outsourcing solutions. It's recently acquired one of the world's leading financial software and technology services companies, SunGuard. It's got 20,000 clients in 130 countries, 55,000 employees, $9.3 billion in revenue and the company's next big idea is an online Stockfile solution. That says a lot about the times we're living in, I think. Now, firstly, for the benefit of our non-South African listeners, Brian Anderson, Head of Sales and Business Development at FIS. Do tell us what a Stockfile is and why FIS is so excited about creating a platform to support them.
2: So what we have is the Stockfile is a community-led Uh, savings or an investment plan uh, whether they're referred to as societies, investment clubs they have been around for hundreds of years, not uh, native to just the African continent and so it's just an informal way of people supporting the community and saving and providing for capital events that would happen whether that's something like paying tuition fees or buying annual grocery hampers on return to where you, you you live for your your, you know while you've migrated away from where you're working Now my mum is part of one she lives in Zimbabwe she's part
0: of one which involves I think something like 12 ladies. Uh, I think it's exactly 12 actually because they take turns getting a lump sum you know so if for February for argument's sake is your month, then all the ladies you know that all everything they put in comes to you for that particular month so they can actually put down deposits for things they couldn't otherwise afford great idea and I think my wife is part of one but that's more kind of a grocery club towards the end of the year they put the money together and they do something for the community and you know some projects they do uh, I say this because I don't think it's as common a uh, a, a it's as common an occurrence in other parts of the world? What have you found? And of all the things that FIS could get into <laughs> on the African continent, what with all these buzzwords flying around like the blockchain and uh, all sorts of other fintech innovations, why would you, uh,
2: you know, drill down on this? So the reason FIS is, uh, is, is interested in that is, obviously, as you mentioned, the acquisition of SunGuard previously. This was part of an innovation drive that as, as tech providers we run internally and uh, leadership is asked to think of ideas that uh, could be different and change the, you know, the, the landscape of how we use our technology, especially in emerging markets, which is where we're focused. And so FIS are even stronger in that they have uh, right the way down to innovation and technology hubs so it 's in our DNA to look for innovation. I think what was important with the Stockfile initiative is the fact that as you 'd mentioned in America, these were called Christmas clubs, like you 're saying your mother in Zim, she, uh, she has a uh, my turn so once a year there 's uh, payments out. This could be for distribution to buy materials to extend to your house there 's a number of ways of how the informal sector or unbanked as we refer to it is actually able to procure capital nature items or items that require a large cash flow. So you, the concept is very much you save a little bit every month and you get a bulk sum. Everyone helps each other out, and that's how the community. Now, if you have a look at linking this to crowdfunding, it's one of the things that's there. It's a very similar way. If you go to Kenya and Nairobi, they have communities that are called sarcos. Everybody has to be part of sarcos. If we look at our interest... The reality is this is the start of savings and savings reforms, and where does that end up? If it's correctly done and correctly administered, it is your wealth and retirement planning, and that's really the interest of FIS.
0: Okay, because I was kind of waiting to ask you if this is just a PR drive on your part. I mean, you're after bigger money, but definitely definitely commercial incentive to, to, to service this market.
2: Yes, I think, you know, from a social responsibility angle, there is that. And uh, we are doing this as uh, part of our enterprise development as well um, in terms of FAIS's commitment to broad-based black economic empowerment. However, the big thing that we're trying to do here is our customers are the financial services participants. So what we're looking at is bringing the unbanked. If you look in South Africa, this is in excess of a 40 billion rand industry of cash. Okay, cash is fraught with theft It can be lost or it can be misappropriated and it brings with it social challenges as in people and families are devastated because money has been stolen because this all happens in cash. So the drive is to use modern technologies to allow the replacement of paper-based records to utilize new technologies, whether that is an EFT, whether that's a prepaid debit card or as advanced as Impeza and other you know, money transfers. So you're taking a lot of the elements that are in westernized banking and you're bringing the informal into more of a structured base and of allowing that to grow and evolve over time because it is about creating wealth. And wealth is created not overnight, it's created over a long term. So let's talk access
0: because uh, – it- as much as there's a lot of growth in terms of mobile penetration, uh, internet use across the uh, across the continent, it's probably not moving as fast as any of any of us would like. And so, access in terms of this great idea,
2: how does someone in rural in, in rural Rwanda benefit from this innovation? So I think you touched on an important thing. A lot of these community-led societies and investment clubs have a social impact and a social element. So they're often linked to either a church or some form of a social event. You don't want to take that away. That's the whole part of community. You want people still to meet. What we're trying to do is inside of the community are trusted people, whether they're referred to as treasurers or trustees, and they are tasked with administering these funds and these cash and investments. So what we're looking to provide is a web-enabled application, okay? It's a complete platform that will allow the record keeping to be done. It will allow the inputs to equal the cash in the bank. And that's the important thing, because at the moment it's all based on trust. You do not, as an individual, know whether the treasurer actually deposited the money. Okay, so you, you, you're you taking the prudence of financial management into place. You're giving access via the web. That means that this can be via a mobile device. It can be over a smartphone. It can be at a kiosk. It can be at any distribution channel. So you bring the banks into this now. So now you've got a bank. You've got a bank account. But the banks may be able to advance different products to the members. At the moment, the bank only knows the authorized signatory on the account. So the technology will allow the linking of all these different bits of information that at the moment sit on a piece of paper that could be lost, it could be left on a taxi, you don't know. So the, the risks are eliminated by going into some form of digitization. So you now have an e-copy of a piece of information. That information can then be used to address banks. The banks can then offer cheap, low-cost banking solutions, be that card-based or transactive accounts. They could then offer potentially SMS notification, which the solution allows for. They can then off the back of that, do debit order collections, or even go down to using things like loyalty cards. So let's talk about
0: intermediaries, which you've mentioned some, uh, the banks. And are you taking this to market yourselves? Are you speaking to banks? And uh, if you have partners, what is the interaction looking like in terms of of taking this to
2: the people? So we've worked very closely with, as we said, our our customers are in the financial services arena. And so the participants there would be the insurers, the pension fund administrators and the banks. We've also, as we had mentioned earlier, we've created a third-party administration entity called iGen, which is actually part of our enterprise development. So we've worked to create an enterprise that would offer independent administration services to the various societies. Okay, This is a business model that can be replicated in different geographies in different countries. And what we're offering is the technology platform. And this is an open platform that is allowed to be used. It's not uh, exclusive to any one of those participants. And it's on a per-member charge. So it's a pay-as-you-go basis. It's aligned to the type of investment income. The key thing that we have here is we're looking to ensure that the cash and the investments that are made by the members of these societies starts to earn investment income. Because that's often what happens by nature. These uh, societies are either short term, meaning they will, as you'd mentioned with your mother, they will pay for 11 months and in the 12th month they get money back. So, you know, that's, if you link that, that's the same as a fixed deposit or a notice deposit. But they're not getting interest because it sits in a current account because money is coming out every single month. Okay. So the banks will offer better products to marry that up. If you look at the insurers, the insurers sell funeral policies. Yet one of the biggest societies in all of the countries is burial societies. Okay. So you know, again, you could use mainstream banking products, insurance products to offset. So therefore your contribution now could actually have an investment element and a normal product. Okay, so those are very important things of where we're going to, where this product would evolve to. And ultimately, this solution we're offering is the same solution that administers global pension funds around the world today. So what you're doing is we're creating a platform that you could enter in today as an informal, unbanked person. You could have your contributions tracked. That could track for 20, 30 years. You could have your distribution tracked. You could have your beneficiaries tracked everything that you have in mainstream banking. However, what we are trying to do is by the social element and the social interactions, you still keep the trust element involved because there is this disconnect between um, the unbanked having a lack of trust in terms of what sits in the formal banking sector. Now, let's talk
0: about the API. Uh, You know, there's a you know African developers complain uh, at least listeners of our show often complain that the financial sector on the continent is very reluctant to let developers into their back end to develop apps and and further application improve upon some of the great work you know that's already been done and I'd, in in our opinion really speed up the uh the opportunity for 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 adoption of these technologies are you letting are you letting developers out there
2: go go crazy are you are you opening your api up to that So, correct. I think, um, you know, there's a distinction between uh, open source and uh, API-led. So, this is a robust platform and technology that has an open API. So, we have a web component. Uh, You've got a lot of uh, apps, whether that's Apple or Android. And there are a number of applications that are out in the marketplace right now in South Africa. And we will be engaging with those people to offer the robust back-end industrial member record keeping solutions because the member record then becomes a very very powerful financial instrument because it gives a person an identity and it gives them a track record in the financial services sector so if you look at where we've evolved to the stock files we have today in kenya there's sarkos sarkos are 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 co-ops they are banks Okay, they are investors of the diaspora of people who are traveling and working overseas. It, recently, there was a Sarkos just bought a banking license in Kenya. So it's very important that this is the evolution of time, and as innovators, FIs want to be at the front line of that. So we welcome people to engage with us, looking at what they have. Some really nice apps that have been out and launched recently. We will offer them a back end, and they can be the front end because. What's relevant is that each of the communities will have a preference to something because this starts off with trust. Okay, FIS would be an unknown entity. The mainstream banks are not necessarily trusted. The trustee and the treasurer of the community or the church or the group is already trusted. And that's fundamental to the success of this product.
0: So you alluded to the model,
2: uh, e- essentially how FIS makes money from this, other you know, uh,
0: which is basically charging your financial, you know, your financial services clients. Uh, but I definitely see a play for data here, and and like you said, the how critical um, the 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 data on the continent is becoming for us actually getting ahead. How does FIS typically benefit from the data, the ton of data? I imagine
2: you you that you know goes through the software that you guys create. So in in, in some of our solution sets that we have, especially in the retail side, as you mentioned in the FIS, the payment space, Tracking of data, uh, tracking of transactive information is very, very key. If you look at things like anti-money laundering, if you look at how money is moved from accounts to uh, different or or restricted areas or regions, it's very important for us and our clients to be protected from that. So that is front and center of what FIS and the, uh, what we refer to as our banking and payments area are very key on. We then take that and you start doing trending and you start doing analytics and and behavioral studies you start using databases to st- put together things like you mentioned earlier blockchains and so forth because that's ultimately what you want to do you want to start creating single golden source records of bits of data that create a, a reference for people who at the moment are completely unknown so for example if you have a look as we we're saying there's 8.6 million members in South Africa of stock files there's 430,000 stock files. In South Africa, and there's 40 billion plus rand of cash that flows through these societies annually. It's a massive industry, and what you have in South Africa is a fraction of what you would have up in Kenya, Ghana, and the Nigeria.
0: That's about what three billion billion three billion US.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a big industry. It's a. Now, the the thing where it ties in further is this is cash that's sitting in bank accounts that the banks would love to be able to make a turn on, but how do you do that if you don't know how is this actually this society? Is it a uh, groceries? Therefore, we're going to have this money only for. Uh, Eleven months or are we having this uh, is it a birthday club where once a month their money is all withdrawn so that 's the product evolution. I think back to the data point, I think what 's very important here is it starts giving people a financial identity, and that will become a unique identifier to allow them to enter into modern or westernized financial services where you could look at a home loan product because you've demonstrated i have been saving i know how to make a monthly repayment and now we're offering a platform that will record that that actually will become a record that you could take to your bank and say i have made 75 payments month by month without any default into my society now the term financial inclusion is often bandied about, but to, to my mind, at least
0: based on what you've said so far, I'd say it's it's a pretty nifty trick. When does it
2: launch? So we're aiming to put something out in Q3 of this year. So we're busy doing uh, some testing now and some pilots, the applications up and running. We had a soft launch at our FinTech 2020 event, and uh, we'll look to do some some broader media and a final launch uh, somewhere in the middle of Q3. So for us, that's any time after July.
0: A warm thank you to you, Brian Anderson, of Fidelity National Information Services, uh, for making time to chat to me, uh, to listen to my full conversation with Brian and... By full, I mean really full. It, I think it, it, it went as long as maybe 40 minutes long. Insights filled, wall to wall, lots to learn. It was really quite fun to, to have Brian walk me through uh, the the product development uh, process at FIS and also just pick his mind about, you know, where fintech is going as far as he's concerned, as well as mobile money in general on the continent. So if you want to catch a listen to the full conversation I had with him, head straight to our SoundCloud account. That's soundcloud.com forward slash African Tech Roundup. It'll be in the Quick chat playlist, if you'd prefer, you can click through using the links on our Twitter and Facebook pages. We've made sure that the conversation uh, I had with Brian is available there as well. Of course, on Twitter, we're at African Roundup, and on Facebook, we're facebook.com forward slash African Tech Roundup. That said, we want to hear from you, our listeners. Uh, Do you think that FIS is on the right track in terms of coming up with an idea that services a real pain point uh, on the continent? Uh, What fintech innovations in the financial services space are you excited about? Give us a shout on Twitter or email us using hello at africantechroundup.com. Once again, this episode of the African Tech Roundup is brought to you by FreshBooks. Are you a freelancer or small business owner trying to get organized? trying to save time invoicing, or even better, trying to get paid faster. Well, our FreshBooks is the easy-to-use invoicing software designed to help you do all three of those things. If that sounds too good to be true, well, put them to the test. Go to gofreshbooks.com forward slash africantech. And that's the week's show, folks. We're back next week, Monday, with a fresh episode at 9 a.m. Central African time. Join us then. In the meantime, though, it's cheers from me, Andile Masugu, wishing you a prosperous and blessed Africa Day for May the 25th. Take it easy, Africa.